Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Back in May 2021, I read an article. As I was digging and digging and digging research about this COVID virus and so forth, I came across a a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Wade. I figured he was a huge leftist. I just assume so, because he had spent a lot of his career at the New York Times, and uh, he wrote this piece, uh, COVID-19, about uh, misinformation and so forth. And um, he was widely attacked for it. He uh, was... Born in Britain, an author, a journalist, has written many books, wrote for Nature and Science, the science section of the New York Times, where he was, uh, I think, effectively the editor there. Um, then he published an article in support of the COVID-19 lab, lab leak hypothesis. And as Wikipedia, of course, puts it, fueling the controversy around the origins of the virus. Wade's claim about the origin of COVID-19 are at odds with the prevailing view among scientists. At that time, nobody, nobody was directly linking the lab to the virus except Tom Cotton and Donald Trump. Now, they're not scientists, but they surmise that's what had to happen. And, of course, they both came under vicious attack. Well, I want you to hear what Nicholas Wade said. Literally days after his piece was published, I brought him on Life, Liberty, and Levin. By the way, wasn't that a fantastic interview with Governor DeSantis last night? was fantastic, I thought. And uh, it's a great book. I'll talk about that a little later in other interviews that are coming up. Anyway, back to Nicholas Wade. So on Life, Liberty, and Levin, May 23, 2021, literally a few days after his piece was published, and nobody, got that? Nobody was pressing this case. And I was not ideological about it. I just thought what the man wrote made a hell of a lot of sense. Here's a little bit. Cut 12, go. And what is the theory behind research like this, making viruses more lethal, particularly lethal for human beings? Well, that's right. It sounds crazy at at first uh, sight. But the rationale is that many of these viruses are going eventually to jump over from animals to humans anyway, once they acquire sort of a couple of mutations that uh, allows them to make that jump. And so if we could define those mutations in advance, we would get a jump on the virus, or a jump on what he was going to do naturally, and that would give us a leg up in trying to predict and prevent future epidemics. That's the rationale for, for 
conferring gain of function on these viruses. So basically, create in a lab more lethal viruses from the original virus. So you can try and figure out what to do with it, should it become more lethal, and jump into human beings. Is that about right? Uh, yes, that's right. With the, one exception is that you're not, you're not always working with the original virus. You, you're often swapping into it bits and pieces from related viruses that may be able to do something better or spread the range of hosts the virus can attack. Mm -hmm. Now, looks like a cutoff here. I talked about this expert, this Chinese expert, scientist at the Wuhan lab. You say she set out to create coronaviruses with the highest possible infectivity on human cells. Is this what she's known to do? He said she's not known just for that. She's just she's known as a sort of general expert on the coronavirus. But she was working at the lab. And so there were questions raised. Cut 13, go. So we have these scientific journals. We have these scientists. We have sort of these groups of scientists. In the case of Danzig, he had 20, 25, uh, actually 35 signatures. Uh, we have the second one from Anderson, five signatures. Uh, the media basically used these letters uh, as an argument that it, uh, it had to be from animal jump to human beings. Why, why do you think the media was so incurious? I mean, people are getting ill. This is a pandemic. Wouldn't you, I mean, if you were back at the New York Times and so forth, wouldn't you say to your editor, I want to know how the hell this happened? Uh, well, I agree, Mark. It's very puzzling to me why the, the media, uh, uh, headed by the science journalists that are on the staff of most mainstream newspapers and networks, didn't run after this story, which by, by any standards was one of the biggest science stories of, of, of the decade. Uh, and I, I am perplexed to know why they didn't see through the rather large holes in the Anderson uh, uh, and, and Daszak letters that so much shaped a public opinion. But with the, the science journalists uh, sort of going along with the natural emergence theory, um, their editors, who I guess will depend on their advice, went along too. Yeah, and in addition, the, the whole issue became horribly politicized, uh, uh, essentially by President Trump saying the virus escaped from the Wuhan lab and not providing any evidence. Now, I'm pretty sure my guess is that what his intelligence service said to him was exactly the same as they've been saying under the Biden administration, namely that we cannot rule out the possibility of lab escape. And, and Mr. Trump, I fear, dropped all those caveats and s announced it as if it were an outright fact. So therefore, everyone who was with President Trump sort of favored lab escape and everyone who was against President Trump refused to consider it. Uh, it seems to, to me to be a, a reflection of how sort of politicized our whole public discussion has become, that, 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 that these political attitudes prevailed over what should have been scientific curiosity. Right. And they should have looked at it anyway. And he kind of backs into this, which is because Trump said it was leaked. The entire Washington so-called scientific bureaucratic media community colluded to oppose anything Trump said. And earlier, anything Tom Cotton had said. 
That's, in my view, what's taking place here. Let's play another clip. Cut 14, go. Don't you think, even though there's not a direct connection, as you pointed, don't you think the National Institute with these infectious diseases or the National uh, Institutes of Health, these entities, that the American people have had a lot of faith in, they've put a lot of reliance on, I know I have over the decades, that they have a responsibility to try and figure out how this happened. I hear nothing from those institutions about where they think this virus came from, other than they dismiss people who have thoughts and comments and so forth. It just seems to me, if you're going to be in the business of grant giving, I don't care if it's three levels below or whatever it is, at this point you know something horrific happened. Shouldn't they have some responsibility to try and get to the bottom of it, including saying, look, we're trying to get the data, but the communist regime in China won't give it to us? Uh, Mark, I think that's an excellent point. Um, the, the National Institutes of Health, even more so than all the media, surely had a duty to investigate the origin of the virus uh, as carefully as it could, to lay out its role in it, to explain why it continued funding this research, even during a U.S. government moratorium on funding it. And there are lots of questions that I wish the NIH had addressed a year ago and and been upfront about and invited public comment and scrutiny and just laid out everything they knew and tried to see what uh, had happened and explain it to us. And they haven't done that. And I share your perplexity at why not. And the propaganda talking points are out, not just from the uh, podium in the uh, press room at the White House, but the various uh, host desks throughout cable and network news. MSLSD and Constipated News Network and all the rest. Jake Sullivan put it out yesterday. We can't confirm or deny where COVID originated. Uh, Jen Pisaki on the Morning Schmo Show. Uh, Energy Department cover report, not insignificant. We still don't actually know. It's amazing. Just amazing how they cover up for the communist Chinese. Jean-Pierre at the White House today. Political attacks on Fauci are counterproductive. Fauci was the biggest propagandist of them all. Now, we have reports out. I didn't make them up. This isn't anybody's opinion by experts. Experts. That natural immunity was as effective or more effective than the vaccines. I had experts on this show and on television long before anybody else. I dug them up at Stanford University, Yale, Rockefeller College. You might recall. They were all on the program, and they said natural immunity is the answer. It's the quickest way to get this over with. Yes, vaccines for the elderly. Yes, vaccines for those who have immune issues and so forth, just in case. No question. And then they say masks. Originally, Fauci said, forget about the masks, and he was into the masks. Uh, and his answer was he didn't want everybody buying up masks. Never made any sense. And now there's another scientific study, not done in some boiler room, not funded by some partisan group, that says masks are ineffective. There were people saying it at the time. And so there was censorship online because the government and the left didn't even want these discussions to take place. Everybody was a kook, a conspiracy theorist. And in the end, who benefited from this? 
7 million people worldwide died. 7 million, as best as we can tell. Some of the numbers are really kind of weird, but you understand. 7 million. Maybe it's 5, maybe it's 10. Whatever it is. A lot. Even that number was manipulated, so it's difficult to know. But let's assume millions. At the hands of the communist Chinese in the Wuhan lab. In the American media... The American bureaucracy, the elected officials, the Democrats, they didn't want us to go there. And when Donald Trump called it the China virus, he was called a racist. Remember all that, Mr. Producer? He must be a racist. All about racism. Racism, collusion, the morons out there. And yet look at this. Our government, the bureaucracy, the Democrat Party, our media, still today, not all, but too many, covering up for the Communist Party of China. The Communist Party of China. You couldn't even mention the lab leak. Here we are. Wall Street Journal from the weekend. Michael Gordon and Warren Strobel. The U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak. According to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. If this itself wasn't leaked to the media, you wouldn't even know this. The American people wouldn't know. What the hell's going on with this government? Why is this top secret? They're shipped by the Energy Department, which conducts a lot of these tests, which previously was undecided on how the virus emerged, is noted in an update to a 2021 document by Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines' office. The new report highlights how different parts of the intel community had arrived at disparate judgments about the pandemic's origin. The Energy Department now joins the FBI in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese lab for their agencies, along with a national intelligence panel, still judge that it was likely the result of natural transmission, and two are undecided. Because our government is incompetent. If you reread Mr. Wade's piece, I'm sure you will be convinced that it came out of that lab. And there's literally nothing, nothing but propaganda and twisted information, particularly by nonprofits, to argue otherwise. Mark Levin. You know, sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to helixsleep.com, H E L I X sleep.com, and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched to the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash Levin, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and use code HELIXPARTNER20. 
That's Helix Partner 20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long, folks. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Student loans. The federal government under Obama nationalized the student loan program. There really are no more private student loan businesses. To the extent they even exist, they are effectively subsidiaries of the Department of Education. Now, that means you and your children and your grandchildren are handing out student loans. And the federal government, meaning you, are on the hook right now for $1.6 trillion in student loans. $1.6 trillion. And the federal government does such a fantastic job of managing money. And Joe Biden is burning through our currency. He's burning through our economy. He's burning through your children and grandchildren's future like there's no tomorrow. In addition to our debt, our own budget debt at $31.5 trillion. That's $31.5 trillion. Our off-book debt is over $250 trillion. In other words, it's an impossibility to even effectively address it now. You saw the reckless COVID spending. Now money's being used to push CRT. You saw the reckless spending on schools. $190 billion or so for schools. Where's it gone? Hasn't even all been spent yet. So they used the pandemic to grow the size and the wealth of the federal government to empower themselves and the government to create precedents for power grabbing, even in your homes and your businesses and your jobs and every other respect. And they don't want to give these powers up. And this student loan welfare, that's what it is. It's not a forgiveness, it's welfare. It can cost anywhere from $400 billion to a trillion dollars. People who took out loans for school, and yet you don't have to spend that money for school. You can spend that money on cars. You can spend that money on vacations. You can go to Las Vegas and gamble. You can do whatever you want with that money. There's no requirement that you actually spend it on education. And they took out these loans, and now the rest of us are supposed to pay for them, and your children and grandchildren on top of it. The Democrats are pushing this, and Biden's pushing this, because they view college age, that is millennials in colleges, as part of their base. Remember what I said, always remember the power when the Democrats are acting. They redistribute wealth to their base. They do no oversight of their donor class, of Soros, of trial lawyers, of colleges and universities that produce brainwashed, radical leftists for the Democrats. This is where their tenured Marxist professors are. This is where they have found a home. So there's certain institutions and certain individuals and groups of individuals in this 
country under the Democrats that are immune, that are to be subsidized, subsidized, receive welfare in effect from you. If somebody took out a loan and they can't afford it, that's their problem. Do you think the government should go through and pay off everybody's mortgage? Do you think they ought to go through and pay off everybody's car loan? Do you think they ought to go through and pay off everybody's credit card? I mean, there'd be nothing left of this society. Zero. On top of it, what about responsibility? Why should somebody who wasn't involved in taking out a loan, didn't go through the process, didn't make representations to banks and so forth, why should they be on the hook? But there's even a bigger reason, and that's the United States Constitution. Show me anywhere in the United States Constitution, anywhere, anywhere, where the President of the United States has the power to forgive $400 billion in debt. Go to Article 2, read it. Read it. But go to Article 1, Section 8, the powers of Congress. This is considered the spending clause. The debt clause. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes and duties, imposts and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare for the United States, to borrow money on credit of the United States, and it goes on. The president doesn't have any powers of this kind, none. And so when Joe Biden issues an executive order giving up debt that is owed to the United States taxpayer, that is an unconstitutional act. That is a fascistic act by an out-of-control man who thinks he's got this kind of power. He signs executive orders left and right. And, of course, he's cheered by the Marxists in the country, whether they be historians or media types or nutjobs in Congress. They hate the Constitution to begin with. But then they claim the Constitution gives, gives a president these kinds of dictatorial powers. That all he has to do is have a staffer write up an executive order and sign it, and poof, $400 billion disappears from the books of those who took out the loans, and then they reappear as debt owed by the taxpayer to him or herself. Imagine the president this sends. Where's separation of powers? That's the great strength of our system, separation of powers. And it's also also the area where the left keeps attacking and attacking and attacking and attacking. They want to change the voting system. So they can never lose a presidential election. They want to turn this into an autocracy, even though they pretend otherwise. They use the language of we the people, as every fascistic or Marxist regime does. Representative Rashida Tlaib is an American-hating, reprobate Marxist. Not to mention an anti-Semite. Ayanna Presley is an American-hating Marxist, 
Sheila Jackson Lee is just as dumb as they come. Cory Bush, another American-hating Marxist. And they demand that you pay their debts. And the debts of everybody else. And of course, the consequences of this is colleges and universities, they make out like bandits. Wow, not only does the federal government take over the student loan system, which means there's almost no checks and balances, but now the federal government's going to dismiss student, student debt, or they're going to pay for it is, is what they're really going to do, meaning the American taxpayer is going to be on the hook, not just for the loans that are made, but for dismissing the loans. Where is this money going to come from? Doesn't matter. Because the Democrat Party and the rhinos, they're all about demand, not supply. Some group makes a demand, and they meet the demand. Well, what about the supply of work, the supply of money, the taxpayer? Doesn't matter. Their economics only goes one way, the demand, not the supply. And meanwhile, these colleges and universities are indoctrinating children to turn on their families, to turn on their history, to turn on their country. That's what was in the streets in 2020 in the summer. And somehow, you're compelled to pay for all of it. We have an elected Congress. We have representatives for a reason. We have a Constitution for a reason. This 80-year-old, low-IQ, street-hack politician Biden rolls it all. The entire ideology of the left is an insurrection. The entire ideology. And we, the people, are supposed to have no say whatsoever. None. They just decide. The moron signs an executive order, and you're on the hook. No congressional hearings, no committee votes, no participation by the American people. He just sits there and signs an executive order. Here's Rashida Tlaib in front of the Supreme Court today. Cut 12, go. And just know this, I've seen things come and go, you know, when folks uh, come in office, come and go. But movement people don't go nowhere, right? They can change hands. They can, this unhinged Supreme Court can make all these decisions, but we're not going anywhere. And we're going to continue to speak that truth. Again, the President of the United States, I hope they can hear me, does have the legal authority to cancel debt. She's an idiot. She has no idea what she's talking about. But look how they talk about the Supreme Court. So the Democrats have destroyed respect for all of our institutions until they take them over. Then you won't be able to criticize them. The unhinged Supreme Court. Now, she's not inciting violence against justices, is she? She's not inciting an insurrection against the Supreme Court, is she? No, no, no. Sweet Rashida Tlaib. Then we have Ayanna Presley. Cut 13, go. With the stroke of a pen and clear legal authority, he responded. The stroke of a pen and clear legal authority, Biden responded. 
In one sentence, she just described a dictator. But she's another one. She's a moron. Go ahead. With the stroke of a pen and clear legal authority, he responded. He canceled student debt. But callous and spiteful Republican officials disconnected from the hardship of everyday folks who are burdened by this debt. Those Republican officials and corporate interests across our nation just couldn't leave well enough alone. They saw the transformative power of folks from every walk of life, unburdened by student debt, and instead they chose obstruction. This is an obnoxious, loudmouth Marxist. So we are disconnected from the hardship of everyday folks. So in other words, everyday folks are radical Democrats, college students, formally, graduate students, formally, medical students, lawyers, whatever, who took out loans voluntarily. Nobody held a gun to their head. And those poor people are suffering because of what they did. And you are not the common folks, you see. And she dragged her ass to Palestine, Ohio, to check out common folks? Of course not. Common folks, you see, they're the common folks. And you're all rich. That's how this works when it comes to Marxists. And they sound like Marxists, don't they? Their voices, their drama, their propaganda... With a stroke of a pen and clear legal authority, Biden responded. Well, guess what? You're not allowed to, with a stroke of a pen, cancel $400 billion to a trillion dollars in debt. And what about all the people who paid off their debt? Well, too damn bad. All the people who followed the law, too damn bad. All the people who are suffering right now that don't have student debt, with gasoline prices, with inflation, with the labor market, with food prices. Those aren't common people. So the Federalist, Sean Fleetwood, after failing to orchestrate a federal takeover of state election administration two years ago, Democrats are back with their newest strategy to seize control of America's electoral process. Is the RNC ready to fight this? The Republican Lawyers Association, is anybody even paying attention to this? In blue state legislatures, leftists are working to advance election bills that seek to dramatically overhaul state elections by enshrining Democrat-backed voting practices into law. The widespread effort is an attempt to implement National Democrats' H.R. 1 policies in states across the country. Deceptively labeled the For the People Act, H.R. 1 was a bill supported by Congressional Democrats and Joe Biden. As you know, during the early months of 2021, it was a concentrated bid by Democrats to cement many of the unsecured practices used throughout the 2020 election into federal law and allow the federal government to oversee and control the electoral process. The measures, many changes to election administration, include provisions effectively banning voter ID, mandating universal uh, mail-in balloting, 
legalizing widespread use of ballot drop boxes, among others. The bill furthermore violates core principles of the Constitution, such as the Elections Clause of Article 1 and the Electors Clause of Article 2, which stipulate that the states, not the federal government, are tasked with administering and overseeing elections. So House Democrats did pass H.R. 1. Senate Republicans effectively killed the measure once it arrived in the Senate. In typical hyperbolic fashion, Biden, legacy media's so-called unifier-in-chief, proceeded to accuse the Senate GOP of supporting a Jim Crow-era voter suppression for opposing his party's takeover state election administration. So now with Republican control of the House nullifying H.R. 1's prospects of passage for at least the next two years, Democrats at the state level have taken it upon themselves to advance some of the bill's core objectives in the respective legislatures. Here's some examples. New Mexico, where Democrats enjoy trifecta control of the government. Leftist politicos are working to ram through HB 4 before the end of 2023 legislative session. The measure seeks to expand the use of mail-in voting by creating a, quote, voluntary, permanent, absentee voter list, unquote, where county clerks, quote, automatically send a mail ballot to the mailing address listed on a voter registration certificate each time there's a statewide election that includes his precinct. Use of such a system closely mirrors lax, no-excuse, absentee voting, and indefinite confinement rules that Democrats popularized around the country under the guise of COVID emergency, to the detriment of election integrity. Have you noticed every proposal by the Democrats is filled with fraud or the possibility of fraud, and then when you raise it, oh, prove it, prove it. They institutionalize fraud. Additionally, the bill also aims to expand the use of ballot drop boxes by requiring counties to have a minimum of two boxes within their jurisdiction. It also includes a provision permitting convicted felons to register to vote after getting out of prison but before completing parole or probation. And prior analyses have shown most convicts register as Democrats rather than Republicans. I can promise you if it were the other way around, they wouldn't propose this. Look at the... Oh, and that passed the state's house 41 to 26. It's now going to the Senate in New Mexico. They all learned from California. When California got a majority in the governorship, they changed the voting system. And, of course, they redistricted in a way the Republicans couldn't win. They changed the voting system. They took a state that had been voting very often Republican for president. I think the only year from 1952 till 1992 that it didn't vote Republican is when Barry Goldwater was running for president. And so you see the change of Minnesota Democrats doing similar things with Governor Tim Waltz. He's uh, giving illegal aliens the ability to obtain driver's licenses. So Minnesota, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Wisconsin, New Mexico. Yeah, right. Mark Levin. 
Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello, 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Again, 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com. Dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. You know, today is one of those days, America, where there's just too much going on that's crucially important. I've decided, I've made an executive decision, and I've directed myself. Forget about Joy Reid tonight. Just forget about her. She's not even a footnote to a footnote to a footnote in anything. But this is a big deal. This is from Reuters. How many of you heard about this? Iran can make visible material for a bomb in about 12 days, U.S. officials said. Iran could make enough Faisal for one nuclear bomb, that is fizzle, for one nuclear bomb in about 12 days, a top U.S. Defense Department official said. On Tuesday, down from the estimated one year it would have taken while the 2015 Iran nuclear deal was in effect. Now that's Reuters because they're sick. Because they're sick. But anyway, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Colin Call, made the comment to a House of Representatives hearing when pressed by a Republican lawmaker why the Biden administration had sought to revive the deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. He said, because Iran's nuclear progress since we left has been remarkable. Back in 2018, when the previous administration decided to leave the deal, it would have taken about 12 months to produce one bomb's worth of material. Now it would take about 12 days. That's their answer? That's their answer? Donald Trump had his foot on the throat of the Iranian regime. Their economy was crumbling. There's still protests going on, led by, by young ladies, today as I speak. But Biden has tried and tried to breathe life back into that Obama-Iran deal that ensured Iran would get nuclear weapons. You think the Israelis are stupid? You think the Saudi Arabians are stupid? Do You think the Egyptians are stupid? None of them wanted the deal, and none of them like Biden negotiating through Putin with the Iranian regime. I'm pretty certain there's going to be a breakout, some kind of war at some point here. I don't think there's any question about that. Shouldn't there be a little bit more attention paid to this? Yeah, I think there should be. But there's not. And by the way, the radical leftists in Israel rising up, uh, they had a day of something or other today supposedly going on. They're very violent. They're trying to block members of their Knesset from 
from actually getting to the Knesset and doing their jobs. The media, the, uh, the other parties are trashing the majority party because they're trying to bring the judiciary in line with the judiciary of most democracies. Now, I've heard some of my friends, I won't name them so as not to embarrass them, who said that uh, this goes too far or to slow down because it doesn't fit with the, uh, the American system. For instance, in the American system, the Congress doesn't have the power to override the Supreme Court, and then you lose minority rights. The problem in Israel isn't minority rights. The problem is in, in Israel's majority rights. The problem in Israel is democracy. So it's not the same problem. When you have a tyrannical court that destroys separation of powers, that enables 15 15 lawyers, really a panel of lawyers, three lawyers at a time, to make military strategic decisions, to make all kinds of decisions unrelated to what any court does, you've got to rein that court in. So it's not about minority rights. It's about, in this case, majority rights not being respected, the elected government not being respected. Furthermore, in Israel, there's no party that has control over that country. Their system, unfortunately, in many respects, is like the Italian parliamentary system. You've got to cobble together parties in order to have a government. So even Likud represents about, what, 34, 35, 36 seats out of 120? And they pulled together a coalition of, of governments, right of center, religious group uh, uh, parties, and so forth. And so they have a way for minorities to be represented as minority parties in their system. So even if it's a relatively small party, they have three, four, five delegates or members to the Knesset. They may be crucial. In fact, the minority in Israel has enormous amount of power because these elections are so, are so tight from time to time. So it's not about minority rights. It's about democracy and majority rights when it comes to the state of Israel, when it comes to the system of government that they have. So there's that. And then the idea that maybe you do one of these policies at a time. You can't do one policy at a time. Because every one of the policies is under attack. So I don't think it's particularly helpful when Americans go over there and, in my view, say things that undermine what they're trying to do over there. Nothing they're doing over there will lead to any kind of tyranny. Nothing that they're doing over there will destroy democracy. Quite the opposite. I've studied every one of these proposals. I've even talked to the author, Mr. Rothman, about these various proposals. Some of them, I think, make sense even here in the United States. And I think it's very important. And they don't have impeachment of judges in Israel either. So they have no way of of removing a judge if a judge goes rogue. We do here if we choose to use it. We don't, but we do have it. They don't. So there's not a perfect symmetry. I'm just saying that I think the plan that's been proposed by by the various elements on the right there is a excellent plan. In many respects, our judiciary is out of control. 
you read the Liberty Amendments, you'll see some of the suggestions I have there. That a supermajority of both houses of Congress or a supermajority of the state legislatures, that is three-fifths, can vote to hold null and void a decision of the Supreme Court. Now, why? Because the body politic needs to be involved without creating a mob, without a mobocracy. Well, you say, yeah, but but in Israel, they're not proposing a three-fifths. They're proposing a simple majority. Yes, but you have to get the support of other parties. The Republicans don't have to do that. The, the, the Likud does, because Likud members enough are not a, Likud members alone are not enough. So I don't want to get bogged down on this. I'm just making a point that some of the criticism is really, I I think, uninformed and not particularly useful. As far as I'm concerned. Hey, but why does my opinion matter? Here we are killing our coal industry, killing our fossil fuel industry, driving up the cost of fuel, whether it's home heating, oil, whether it's natural gas, whether it's electricity, or gasoline for your car. And of course, the biggest population on the face of Earth belongs to China. The second biggest economy now on the face of the Earth, right on our heels, belongs to China. And here we have from the Daily Caller, China's approving new coal plants at breakneck speed as the Biden administration pushes to shut U.S. generators down. This is how you lose a country, our country. This is how you take a country from being a superpower to being a begging power, begging for energy. John Hugh Demostri China approved, you ready, 168 coal-fired power plants in 2022. The most rapid expansion of the country's coal-fired power capacity since 2015, according to a report by the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air and the Global Energy Monitor Monday. Now, let me ask you a question. How many coal-fired power plants have we approved? None. Chinese companies began constructing 50 gigawatts worth of coal-fired power capacity in 2022, more than triple the rest of the world put together, and spiking 50% from 2021, according to the report. Conversely, Joe Biden's signature Inflation Reduction Act, which is really the Destroy Capitalism and Prosperity Act, it's a climate change law, is expected to lead to the retirement not just opposed to building, the retirement of 30 gigawatts to 60 gigawatts of U.S. coal power plants by 2030, making it more difficult for coal to compete with renewables. So they will drive the use of coal to create energy down so far that the 1 or 2 or 3% of energy that's created by solar energy will outpace the energy created by coal. China continues to be the glaring exception to the ongoing global decline in coal plant development. The speed at which projects progressed through permitting to construction in 2022 was extraordinary, with many projects sprouting up, gaining permits, obtaining financing, breaking ground in a matter of months. This kind of process leaves little room for proper planning or consideration of alternatives. This is a, a, a military regime. This is a genocidal regime. They're not looking at alternatives. They're taking what they have 
And they're saying, okay, we're going to produce a lot of energy. We're going to produce it for our people so they don't rise up against us. We're going to produce it for our military. We want to be energy self-sufficient. We've got coal, so coal, coal it is. So be it. The Biden EPA is expected to introduce a slew of six new regulations, which range from tougher mercury and air toxicity rules to stricter groundwater waste limits, expected to accelerate the pace of coal plant retirements. One rule, which will limit pollution crossing state lines, could force 23 gigawatts of coal-fired power offline by 2025 alone, said Rich Nolan, president of the National Mining Association. This is uh, suicide. I mean, it all comes back to economics, Ken King, associate director of the Rhodium Group, said. You know, at some point you stop deciding to invest in a plant that you have to keep putting more and more money into just to keep it running. It's increasingly uneconomic in the market. Well, that's what they're doing. They have decided to interfere in the market system. They're killing coal as an energy source, destroying it. Uh, They're killing oil as an energy source by preventing the building of pipelines and drilling in potentially uh, uh, in areas that that are potential oil where potential oil reserves exist. China's response for roughly half of all coal consumption and production in the world. And the expansion of coal capacity runs counter to President Xi Jinping's stated goals of having carbon emissions by 2030 and hitting net zero by 2060, Bloomberg reports. Again, they signed a deal with Great Britain over Hong Kong, and then they took over Hong Kong anyway. They don't live up to these deals. Are people out of their minds? Biden made a claim in November, a midterm campaign event, coal plants were economically unreliable. The U.S. would be shutting these plants down, I quote him, all across America and having wind and solar, the New York Times reported. Really, where are we getting all this wind and solar? Anybody know? How many more whales do we need to kill? You want to see those massive propellers on these platforms? Massive. Hundreds and hundreds of them. When you're looking out from your condo or your $25 million home on the East Coast and on the West Coast and on the Southeast Coast, suddenly the environmental aspects of any of this, they don't matter. And of course they break down and they're backed up with fossil fuel and they're killing birds and they're killing whales and nobody cares but we conservatives isn't this amazing it's amazing by the way we have two great guests on this Sunday on Life Liberty and Live In two great guests Nicholas Wade I don't have to bring on famous names all the time do I who's Nicholas Wade he was the first expert to point to the Wuhan lab, the first one. You have all these these hacks on TV and radio trying to point to themselves. He was the first one. 
He wrote the piece in May 5, 2021. It wasn't a surmise. He did all the analysis in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. This man is a Nobel laureate. This man is no right winger. He wrote for Nature. He wrote for Science Magazine. He was a leading writer for the science section of the New York Times, and he wrote a 35-page, very thorough analysis. He was the one who first exposed first. wasn't Rand Paul. wasn't was him that first exposed how the money went to this so-called nonprofit in New York that was responsible for the Lancet letter, that it was drafted and organized by Peter Daszak, the president of EcoHealth Alliance of New York. His organization was funded to do coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He was the one that pointed that out and said this letter is not, doesn't point out the conflict of interest. <clears throat> and he wanted to point away from the lab leak. Then he goes into the second letter that was sent out also. A group of virologists led by Christian G. Anderson at the Scripps Research Institute. He says another case of poor science in the sense of def- true some older methods of cutting and pasting virodromes. And he goes on about this. He was the one who pointed out that our government had funded some of this. And he was on our show, and that helped ignite all the backbenchers on TV and radio. Tom Cotton deserves credit. A lot of credit. He brought it up. He didn't have the scientific facts, but he used logic. And Donald Trump brought it up, too. And they attacked him immediately. But this guy's the real deal, and I'm bringing him back. And our second guest is the great Byron Donalds. Two great guests this Sunday. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Why is it necessary for Democrats and their fellow Marxists to trash people based on their gender, to trash people based on their race, their ethnicity? You know, it's an interesting thing. They try to turn the tables all the time. And it's people who disagree with them or the bigots and the racists and the homophobes and so forth and so on. The vast majority of us believe live and let live. Leave people alone and leave us alone. Treat us as individual human beings. But for the Democrats, 
the dehumanization of the individual human being, brainwashing, groupthink, class identification is key. It's always been key to the Democrat Party since its, since its establishment. And it does it today. Doug Emhoff, I literally never heard this man speak before. They call him the second gentleman. He is Kamala Harris's husband. And he's on MSNBC today, and you need to understand, as I keep saying, you can say anything you want about people who are identified as white. You can say anything you want about men, about males, anything. And you can say anything you want about Christians, anything. And Jews, by the way. But that's not my focus right now. You can just say it. You can be a moron like Joe Biden in front of a group on the last day of Black History Month. I might be white, but I'm not stupid. Joe Biden has been a racist since the day he took his first breath. And he's a racist today. And he's a bigot today. That's what he is. But I want to hear you to hear this from Doug Emhoff, who's a nobody. It's a nobody. Cut 14, go. Can we just talk about masculinity for a moment? Um, has being second gentleman changed This is this guy, own- Capehart. Can we talk about masculinity? Can we just talk about it for a moment? Has being second gentleman changed your own view? A perceived gender roles, go ahead. Of perceived gender roles or what it means to be a man. Whew, that's, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot and something I've spoken about a lot. There's too much of toxicity, it, it, masculine toxicity out there. And there, it, we've kind of confused what it means to be a man, what it means to be masculine. Where, you know, we've confused what it means to be a woman. And a young girl, we've confused what it means to be a man in sports and a woman in sports. We've confused, you know, you and I, we're confused. They're not confused, we're confused. Binary sexes, no, 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 we're confused, you see, but they're not confused. Now we're confused about what it means to be a man. There's way too much toxicity, he says. And I'll give this point again. When's the last time you visited Arlington National Cemetery to see all the white male privilege and white dominant society and too much male toxicity? Maybe it's that these men don't get enough praise for what they do and what they've done. I want you to consider the Civil War, too much toxicity. Males, and he meets white straight males. That's what he means. Too much toxicity. Let's take a look at the war that was waged to retain the Union and end slavery. Oh, it wasn't about ending slavery. I guess people haven't read the Emancipation Proclamation. The Battle of Gettysburg. July 1863, 51,000 casualties. This is a nation of about 24, 25 million people. 
The Battle of Chickamauga, September 1863, 35,000 casualties. The Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse, 30,000 casualties. Every battle more horrific than the next. The Battle of the Wilderness, which was a horrendous battle with men burning to death. May 1864, 30,000 casualties. The Battle of Chancellorsville, April 1863, 24,000 casualties. The Battle of Shiloh, April 1862, 24,000 casualties. The Battle of Stones River, the end of December 1862, beginning of January 1863, 24,000 casualties. The Battle of Antietam, which had the largest single-day casualties of the Civil War, but overall, September 1862, 23,000 casualties. The Second Battle of Bull Run. August 1862, 22,000 casualties. The Siege of Vicksburg, May through July 1863, over 19,000 casualties. Some 700,000 casualties on both sides in the Civil War. No war has ever been fought, a civil war over slavery. None. In any other country on the face of the earth. Toxicity. In terms of battles, the most American deaths, casualties, the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Now, who are supposed to fight these wars? Not masculine men? Not masculinity? I'm sick and tired of this. I'm totally sick and tired of the racism, the bigotry that is taking place in this country coming solely in this regard from Democrat leadership. From Democrat leadership. Most Republicans don't talk this way. Most independents don't talk this way. Joe Biden always talks this way. The Democrat Party leadership always talks this way. hundred years ago, this is how they talked about blacks. Today, this is how they talk about whites. What is it with this party? How about you stop talking about whites this way and stop talking about blacks the way you used to? And treat us as American citizens. Individual human beings. Colorblind society. 
Now, if you believe in a colorblind society, you obviously believe in a white dominant society because a colorblind society is based on the white domination that took place beforehand. I'm not making this up. I read it the other day. Martin Luther King is out the window. Equality. They don't use the word equality anymore because they don't believe in it. These guys that have written these books, these women that have written these books in the last seven to eight years on critical race theory, on DEI, and all the rest of it, they believe in discrimination. They believe in resegregation. It's not a male toxicity. It is about bigotry. And if you try and confront it and speak out against it, you are attacked. You are attacked by Soros front groups. You are attacked by Dan Abrams front groups. It's interesting because they have almost all white people working there, but it doesn't matter. This is the narrative, and you either step in line and you march. Or you're a white supremacist. And they, they don't mean to just narrowly focus on the Klan or neo-Nazis and disgusting, vile pieces of you-know-what like that. No. They mean everybody. And if you're not white, whatever that means... And you defend this society. You defend this country. You believe in assimilation. You believe in the capitalist system. You believe in America. You are denounced. What was it that that guy said on MSNBC, Mr. Producer? You might be of the same skin, but you're not the same said something to that effect. You remember that? In attacking Nikki Haley. You either fall into line or they claim you're out of line. And see, so here we are, the same crap. It's day in and day out from this moron who's the first gentleman. There's nothing gentlemanly about him. And why do we even call him a gentleman if we're supposed to ignore all that stuff? First gentleman. He's the first he or them. The Democrat Party is a cancer, not just on the body politic, but on this country. That's what it is. They don't embrace the country. They don't believe in the country. I'm not saying there aren't Democrats out there in this audience foreign patriots. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I mean. It's very obvious that the Democrat Party is the vessel through which this American Marxist movement is functioning now. And you can see the insanity. You can hear the insanity. Why do you think the media ignored the entire China lab thing and if anybody even brought up the possibility that you're a kook or you're a radical why because they're fronting for communist China and because Tom Cotton dared to bring it up and then later Donald Trump dared to bring it up so they didn't care about science 
Not in the least. Why do you think they kept promoting Fauci, regardless of what he said, even when he would contradict himself one week to the next, one day to the next? Why do you think? Because they supported the totalitarian steps that blue state governors were taking against their people. They don't believe in freedom. They believe in the iron fist of the phony experts and administrators in Washington, D.C. Same with the masks. Same with the attack on brilliant, successful, published medical experts and scientists from Stanford and Yale, from Oxford, from Rockefeller College, who were saying, and not just them, Natural immunity is the greatest strength against this virus, as it always has been against every virus. But, of course, they were dismissed as whack jobs too. Or Russia collusion. Or one reporter at the New York Times going to the border and spending months figuring out what's happened to all these kids. That's it. Or the idiocy of electric vehicles, how they make the communist Chinese powerful and wealthy, how they line the pockets of Biden and Democrat billionaires. Mark Levin. You know, living with pain is the worst. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your whole life. I have friends who have terrible arthritis pain, and amazingly, they found relief with CryoFreeze Roll-On by Omax Health. Now, they introduced a version that's three times stronger. With no messy cream or horrible fragrances, this non-prescription icy cold relief roll-on is formulated to help block pain signals, help reduce mild inflammation, and improve joint flexibility. And it's a powerful dose of 500 milligrams of organic CBD, and they feel relief within 10 minutes. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off their first bottle of CryoFreeze CBD Extra Strength Pain Relief Roll-On Plus Free Shipping. This product also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. That's O-M-A-X, health.com, enter code L-E-V-I-N. Get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide plus free shipping. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Well, America, the DNA, the fingerprints, they're all over the place now. The Biden administration makes stunning admission on climate agenda in a leaked internal memo, writes Thomas Katak, uh, whatever, at the foxnews.com. Biden administration acknowledged in a memo, accidentally leaked really a few hours ago, that charging fossil fuel companies less to drill would provide, quote, greater energy security, unquote, despite its plans to hike royalty fees. Former Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, BOEM Director Amanda Lefton, recommended late last year that, as part of the climate agenda, the Department of Interior move forward with higher royalty fees for an oil and gas lease sale spanning almost a million acres in the Cook Inlet off the Alaska coast, according to the memo obtained by Fox News Digital. Department of Interior Assistant Secretary Laura Daniel Davis ultimately signed off on the recommendation. 
Quote, if a Cook Inlet prospect would be developed, there would be additional government revenues and greater energy security for the state of Alaska, especially if development of natural gas resources in the Cook Outlet ameliorated the long-term supply challenges facing the Anchorage area, left and wrote in the memo. Nevertheless, because of the serious challenges facing the nation from climate change and the impact of greenhouse gases from fossil fuels, Bohm is not recommending this option, since it would not include an appropriate surcharge to account for those impacts. The news here is that the Biden administration knowingly chose their climate, activism, ideology, and agenda over American national security. It's right here in black and white in an accidentally leaked internal memo. Daniel Davis stated in her record of decision published in November after she signed off on Lefton's recommendation that she elected a fee of 18.75%, quote, because this rate constitutes the most reasonable balancing of environmental and economic factors for the American public. She didn't mention the alternative would produce greater energy security as highlighted in her memo. Bohm ultimately held the auction, known as Lease Sale 258, on December 30. The sale garnered just one bid, worth $63,983, for a single 2,300-acre track, according to federal records. That is, the royalty figure was so high, nobody could get involved. It was almost 20 cents on the dollar, assuming, assuming it would become productive. In May, the White House canceled lease sale 258, which had been proposed under the Trump administration in an unexpected decision that was promptly criticized by the fossil fuel industry and Republican lawmakers. However, the Inflation Reduction Act mandated that the administration reverse the decision and hold the sale by the end of 2022. So what did they do? They held the sale, but they jacked up the royalty fee. The Department of the Interior mistakenly posted an internal memo this one I've just read from, making recommendations to Assistant Acting Assistant Secretary for Land and Minerals Management, Laura Daniel Davis, on the Cook Inlet Oil and Gas Lease Sale 258. Mandated by the Inflation Reduction Act, Senator Joe Manchin, who helped author the IRAD, said in a statement today, I am appalled by its contents, which make crystal clear that this administration is literally pointing their radical climate agenda ahead of the needs of the people of Alaska and the United States. Manchin blasted the administration for ignoring Congress's intent and seemingly pandering to environmental groups at the expense of shoring up American energy security and keeping America safe. He said, the contents of this memo speak volumes. If this is what this administration truly believes and is how they are going to make decisions, it's unacceptable. It's a clear and intentional threat to energy security, and the all-of-the-above energy policy Congress has consistently reinforced. I will not support anyone who agrees with this type of misguided reasoning. But you voted for it, moron. Why would you trust Biden and his group of 3,000 Marxists? That's how many political appointees he has. Isn't it abundantly clear what their agenda is? To destroy American citizenship and, and the border? to destroy our currency, 
to destroy the capitalist system, to destroy the minds of our children? Isn't it abundantly clear what they're up to to destroy energy independence, where they have succeeded? How many more examples do we need? Now here it is in black and white, DNA and fingerprints all over it. That they knew they were making a decision that was intended to sabotage this lease that had been approved by Trump and his administration. They knew what they were doing. And of course they did it in the name of climate change. It's quite remarkable, America. But we have another breaking story, Mr. Producer. Here it is, an exclusive. Steve Nelson at the New York Post. Hunter Biden advised Joe's office on answering Burisma queries. That's Burisma queries, email say. The second son of Hunter Biden coached then-Vice President Joe Biden's press secretary on how to respond to media questions about him joining the board of Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma Holdings, emails reviewed by the New York Post show. The May 13, 2014 exchanges between Hunter and Kendra Barkov. Remember her? Remember her? Biden's right-hand Ms. Fixit, which have not been previously reported, formed the basis of a complaint sent to the Justice Department on Friday alleging that the Biden scoin, now 53, violated federal law by failing to register as a foreign agent. That's the least of it. America First Legal General Counsel Gene Hamilton wrote to the Assistant Attorney General for National Security, that loathsome thug, Matthew Olson, quoting the relevant statute, he says, in advising the office of the vice president how to respond to press inquiries about his appointment, Hunter Biden represented the interests of a foreign principal before any agency or official of the government of the United States. Burisma announced Hunter Biden's appointment to its board on May 12, 2014, the following day. According to the complaint, Barkov sent Hunter an email saying, Thanks for talking to me. Let me know who I should refer folks to. What exactly are they asking, Hunter responded. For the time being, I just refer them to my office. FYI, I joined the board of Burisma Holdings, an independent private natural gas producer in Ukraine, along with the former president of Poland. I think the press release is on their website. Barkov, right-hand gal to Mr. Idiot, that would be Joe, then forwarded Hunter an email from Max Seddon. Then a foreign correspondent at BuzzFeed News. Russia state media is loving the press release, supposedly from a Cypriot-held Ukrainian natural gas company, claiming that the vice president's son has joined the board of directors, Seddon wrote, addressing this National Security Council spokesidiot Lara Lucas Magnuson, who had forwarded it to Barkov. The news seems rather odd on its face, and if true, would present a fairly glaring conflict of interest, given the vice president's role on Ukraine policy, particularly since the company is controlled by Nikolai Zlochevsky, who was energy minister and deputy NSC chief under the former pro-Moscow Ukrainian president Viktor Yankankov. The reporter added, is this true? What exactly is going on here? Interesting, Hunter wrote back. Burisma is completely independent of the Ukrainian government with an independent board of directors. Zavinsky served as Minister of Ecology and resigned in 2010. I joined the board as legal advisor 
And Barisma also engaged the law firm to which I am counsel, the, the boy Schiller Flexner, on matters pertaining to the corporate governance, transparency, and expansion. In addition to forwarding Satan's questions, Barkov told Hunter, let me know who in your office to refer the media to. So she's coordinating out of the vice president's office regarding Barisma with Hunter Biden. But nobody told Joe. Joe didn't know anything about any of the business dealings. No. Mr. 10%, the big guy. If anything beyond referring questions to my office is required from you or counsel, you can contact Heather King at Boyce Schill. Hunter directed Barkoff, who later sent him the statement her office was putting out to the press. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, a lawyer, read the statement, which apparently met with Hunter's approval. Quote, the vice president does not endorse any particular company and has no involvement with this company. For any additional questions, I refer you to Hunter's office. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, America. Remember? I gave that son of a you-know-what, the prosecutor, in Ukraine. I told him, you've got whatever, five hours, five minutes. I told the government of Ukraine to fire the prosecutor. Or you wouldn't be getting that billion dollars. Oh, what kind of a message was that? Apparently not impeachable. Apparently not worthy of a special counsel. The America First Legal Foundation complaint also noted that Hunter wrote Barkoff on June 26 to tell her, I'm really sorry, but I have to cancel the call today, suggesting according to the organization. He had ongoing discussions about the matter with the office of the vice president. That continued for nearly a month and a half. AFL, founded by Stephen Miller, a former, you know who he is, he's a friend of ours, claimed a discussion with Barkov showed Hunter Biden is Bermis's agent and, su- and subject to foreign regulation because he was an officer of Burisma, represented Burisma. You know, they threw the book at guys that worked for Trump. They charged them with this stuff. They got a special counsel looking. What the hell's taking so long? What's taking so long? Leftist prosecutors went after Paul Manafort. Do you remember that? Feel bad for what they did to that man. The statue was notably used in 2018 to indict former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort. Remember that, America? Remember that? Remember he was put in solitary confinement by an Obama judge? Remember all that, folks? But there is Hunter Biden, painting. Well, not really painting. Making a fortune off of... You know how they had those elephants painted the zoo, Mr. Producer, with their trunks? They'd give them a brush and they would paint some stuff and then they would sell it. That's kind of Hunter Biden. He sticks things up his nose, paintbrush, whatever. And then they sell the paintings. Leftist prosecutors gave Paul Manafort the functional equivalent of a life sentence for providing real counsel to the Ukrainian government based on decades of experience as a top political advisor. Stephen Miller told The Post, Hunter Biden was acting as a foreign agent, peddling his family name with no legitimate experience whatsoever, and yet the DOJ apparently could care less. Corruption piled on top of corruption, he said. The documents we obtained from the National Archives make clear that Hunter Biden violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Therefore, he must be held fully accountable under the law. 
An AFL has filed a formal fire complaint with the DOJ to initiate the process. It's also essential the DOJ investigate Joe Biden's conclusive scheme, that is, collusive scheme, with his son and the pay-to-play scandals that have enriched the Biden family. How many more breadcrumbs do they need? How many more breadcrumbs do they need? Hunter worked very closely with his father, worked very, very closely with the father's top aides on his business deals. Mr. Big, Mr. 10%. Why is the FBI collectively pretending they're Helen Keller here? Why is that? Too many resources applied to parents who protest school boards? Too many resources applied to SWAT teams that go after pro-lifers? Too many resources applied to Donald Trump? Too many resources applied to people who paraded and trespassed on the Capitol grounds? Is that it? They need more resources? No. They need less. Corruption. The Biden family is thy name.